the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. One of the most, I would say, wonderful things that I know concerning Jesus Christ besides His salvation is that He has prayed for me. He has also prayed for you if you're a follower of Christ. You find this in John chapter 17, verse 20. It's, it, it is a great, great prayer. And in the Bible, it, it is known as the high priestly prayer. But verse 20 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarland, and it's our joy to be with you on Exploring the Word. We're going through Holy Week, and we're doing it day by day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and today is Thursday. And uh, we want to share with you some of those things that happened on Thursday. Alex, this has been a great journey going through Holy Week, looking at it day by day, brother. Amen. And you know what, Bert, it's just uh, perfect that you mentioned praying and that Jesus prays that high priestly prayer of John 17 and of course, you know, the New Testament talks to us about uh, praying for each other. I'm holding in my hands a letter from an inmate uh, in Texas, and uh, his his name is Noah, and he's probably listening right now. And Bert, uh, by hand, he's written the names of more than 40 people. Uh, many are his fellow inmates there in Texas, and then other people, some family members, but he's written, and it's just so touching, prayer request, 40-some names front and back on this page of people. And, and I, Noah, if you're listening, I'd love to read them all. I can't read them all on air. But uh, Angie and I and Bert and I, we are praying for you and for all these names. And it just it moved my heart, the fact that a listener, uh, in this case an inmate in jail, would take the time to write down all these prayer requests by name for his fellow Christians. Alex, when you hear that and you know that, that people take time, they have a prayer list and they're asking you to join them. Uh, It really does uh, just strengthen us and help us. And uh, we want to say to you who are listening, those that are inmates, those that are truckers, uh, those that are driving home from school, uh, you are you're on. We're honored that you would even be listening, and we're going to do our best to take you through the Word of God that it might help you, strengthen you, and bless you. But with that prayer in mind, Alex, I think we just need to start off with prayer today. And uh, I know you can't pray for each one of those by name, but you can say the forty on that list and all the others, mm-hmm. can't you? So we can. Yeah. Would you mind doing that and leading us in prayer? Let's do that. We begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just open up by praising your name. Lord, this day of Holy Week, uh, churches around the world are going to have what they call Maundy Thursday, the Latin word for mandate. And Jesus gave us the mandate to love one another, to serve one another to tell the world about salvation, and yes, to pray for one another. So, Father God, we just, first of all, we want to thank you for all that we're about right now, which is focusing on what Jesus did for us, how he was willing to go all the way to the cross to suffer agonizing, 
pain, and he did that for us to be forgiven. And so, first of all, Lord, we acknowledge you and we praise you. We thank you, dear God, for who you are. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and your love. And for the names on this paper right here, Lord, I lift up Noah and all of his uh, family of believers there in the the Texas um, prison and then the other facilities. I know we have listeners all over. Father, I, I do lift up all the names on this list. And he's also included a prayer for the people of the Ukraine that the war would end. And Lord, we agree with that prayer. We pray for the the war and the bloodshed to end. Lord, I I do pray that you would be with the church in the Ukraine and around the world. And Lord, as Easter comes and we acknowledge that you were victorious over the grave, may the Holy Spirit of God sweep over this world and over our nation. And Father God, I, I pray finally for the United States of America that you would send a great revival. And Lord, use each one of our lives to pray for evangelism, to pray for the lost to be saved, to pray for the churches to get revived. And Lord Jesus, uh, in this world, shine your light and your presence over this world. And Lord, use us in that process. And just Lord Jesus, one more time, we want to say that we love you and we thank you for loving us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alex. And Noah, we are praying for you. And Thank you, Alex, for, for doing that. As we get started on Thursday, Thursday's a very busy day. Tomorrow is Friday, and most of us know a good bit about Friday, so we're not going into that, but we do want to cover Thursday. And one of these is preparation for the Passover meal. And and one of those is in Mark chapter 14, Alex. Notice what it says, fourteen twelve. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? So he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with his, my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared, and there make ready for us. His disciples went out, came into the city, found it, believe it or not, Alex, just as he had said to them, and they uh-huh. prepared the Passover meal. One comment about this, I want you to, I've read it, and you make some more comments, but isn't this amazing? On on Palm Sunday, it was the donkey, he knew where it was, and knew who had it, and knew what to do, and now he knows who has the upper room for the Passover meal. Um, Jesus, again, uh I I've, I think I've said it every day. Jesus is in control of the whole situation, isn't he? He is. When I was a child and I would hear about these things, uh, go and you're going to find a donkey tied, and then go and, and you'll find this upper room. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I thought, wow, how did he do that? How did he know that? Well, you know, as the Son of God, he knew everything. And, you know, he could see somebody a ways off when they were under a a tree. But Jesus demonstrated omniscience. That means all knowledge. And do you know what I was reading, prepping for the program, and they were talking about how um, the the early church, they thought this was of great significance that, uh, you know, Christ uh, had this Passover meal 
with the disciples in the upper room. For one thing, Jesus, he did fulfill all the law. He was an observant Jew, Jewish person. Uh, but part of the reason that he did this in the Passover meal and all of these events that we read about, like in John 13 and 14, Matthew 26, um, the letter, the minutia, every point of the law was fulfilled, wasn't it? It was. And again, I, I I just love this story because of several things. But verse 16, this uh, Mark is writing this. Possibly Peter was relating it to him like a lot of people think. And his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. Now, again, it doesn't show an explanation for one. It didn't say to our belief. But you still see in this writing the amazement that Jesus brings to every situation. He brought amazement to the donkey. He brings amazement in in the upper room. Alex, uh, one of the things that people talk about, and they kind of play it down, is when Peter was held in prison over there in Acts 10, you know, and they prayed for him to be released. And when he came knocking on the door, uh, they were amazed. Let me just say this. I don't think that's all negative. You know, I still think we should be amazed that we Amen. that God would respond to us uh, when we pray. Alex, uh, he doesn't have to, but he does. And here, he he they are in amazement of of his knowledge. They're in amazement of how he is sharing with them and telling them. And then they obeyed him, and they prepared the Passover. They did it exactly. The way he said, as you said, he was that Jew keeping the law. But again, these disciples, uh, they're Jews, and they want to do that as well. And uh, so it was accomplished. So I I just want to say to all of us, me and Alex, Alex and myself, and all of you who are listening, Jesus is amazing, and his grace is amazing. And uh, just be enthralled by him. He is something to uh, someone to know, isn't he? Well, yes. And uh, Bert, have you ever um, been to a Passover, uh, and I'm not sure if it's Seder or Cedar, S-E-D-A-R, but you know how the Jewish people would have the Passover, the Seder yep. meal, and how, how it points to Christ. It have does. You ever seen every that point, yes, I have. I've been able to well, do that. Yes. Well, well and, and we did too. Years and years and years ago, um, there was a, a ministry uh, Jews for Jesus, and we went to one of these, Angie and I did, and the word means order. The Passover Seder means order, and, you know, prayers are recited, and, and it does, you know, there's a a, a lamb's uh, bone, and there are the bitter herbs, uh, There there's some salt water that represents the tears, there's the, the matzo or the unleavened bread, and this would have been, you know, these elements of a Passover Seder was like the meal Jesus is going to have with his disciples. Here's the thing that amazes me, Bert. When they, they talk about the deliverance from the bondage of Egypt, and, you know, the the lamb was slain and the blood was put on the doorpost and the death angel passed over. And again, you know, I've said this many times, but uh, watch that grand Cecil B. DeMille movie, The Ten Commandments. I, I And, you know, the... Uh, the Smithsonian says that is um, one of the two or three most significant American films ever made. I love the Ten Commandments movie. But Bert, Jesus is doing this with his disciples. 
knowing full well that he, in a, in a matter of hours, he will be that lamb that is slain. The, the bitter herbs of bondage, he's going to drink the bitter cup of the wrath of God for centuries of human iniquity. I mean, you think about the, the import of this. In the afternoon, Jesus has told his disciples to go find a large room where they can have the Passover meal, um, probably by, you know, 5.45 or 6 p.m. on that Thursday. They're gathering to go do that. And Jesus is walking them through the steps of this Passover Seder, knowing very, very, very shortly he will be that slain lamb. Isn't that amazing? It is. And again, it is beautiful. They call it Jesus living in the shadow of the cross, uh, at least we know from 12 years old. I mean, you know, he knew that. That was his purpose for coming. I came to do the will of my Father. Verse 17, and I know we want to go to John. At least I, I, I would love to get to John, but this is just too good. In verse 17, in the evening, he came with the 12. Now, Alex, I, I know we could just go over that. I know that's making a statement. But Jesus is with these men that have been with him most of the time, three years. And as my professor at Blue Mountain College, James Travis, on a three-year camp out, <laughs> foxes had holes, birds huh. had nests, but the Son of Man, he slept under the stars a lot of the Isn't time. Isn't that something? Yeah. But they came with him at this time in their life. We talked about him being at Lazarus' home yesterday, and here, right before the cross, he's with the twelve. What an impart. What an impact. Hey, we're going to be back with more of this Thursday uh, event on Holy Week. Don't go away. We'll be back with more right after the break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Erin Collins, National Taxpayer Advocate. Her office helps taxpayers resolve their problems with the Internal Revenue Service. Hebrews 6.10 reminds us of the importance of helping others. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you have helped His people and continue to help them. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Erin Collins as she helps taxpayers in this country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Want to find your identity? What you do, what you have, your accomplishments, maybe even your political party. Dr. Tony Evans says those things may describe you, but only God is qualified to define you. He'll explain today as we spend two minutes with Tony. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in my humanity, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Once you accept Jesus Christ as your personal sin bearer and substitute, and he gives you the gift of eternal life, and Christ comes in his spirit, through his spirit, to take up residence in you, your new identity is you are a Christian. That is who you are. Everything else is a subset of that one thing. And only to the degree that the spokes of everything else into the hub of that one identity will your life take shape like God means it to take shape. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my personal substitute and now he has defined all of my life's reality in every single category. Learn what it means to accept the Lord and discover how it can change your life now and for eternity. Visit TonyEvans.org and click on the link that says Jesus and check out Tony's video that explains everything. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. You know, in Jeremiah 31, 31, the Word of God says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That new covenant, a living heart, that even in the Old Testament references the opportunity to be born again, made alive, regenerated through Jesus. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland here, along with Bert Harper. And um, hey, a couple of things. We're going to open up the phones in just a minute for uh, calls and questions. The number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. If you've got a Bible question, we'd love to hear from you uh, today. But also, um, on the website, AFR.net, or on the app. You know, there's an app for all mobile devices. You can listen to this show. For one thing, the great programming of AFR is streamed live. Plus, if it's a show that uh, is especially meaningful, you can share it and listen again and forward the link on to somebody. So there's a lot at AFR.net, and there's a lot on the app, and we encourage you to check those things out. But, Bert, the New Covenant... Um, see, there's so much going on here, and the word covenant really, it's it's like arrangement or agreement, uh, almost like contract. And part of the the terms of the of the agreement, if you will, if you put your faith in Jesus, you can have security. You can know where you stand with God. And uh, let let me just say, all of these myriad of details about Easter, that's part of the the reality that God keeps covenant, every one of the details about the promised Messiah, salvation, the fulfillment of the law, um, as we say, to uh, dot every I and cross every T, the Lord certainly did that, didn't he? Every detail. He did. And one of the most amazing things, and you see this in the Gospels, uh, this, they, they were talk about it. We recognize that this was fulfilling Scripture when it was happening or right after it happened. Uh, they looked back in the Old Testament, and they knew it said that, but they didn't know exactly how to 
you know, bring it about, but Jesus brought it about and they recognized it. I think it's through their recognition. Yes, that's easy, but also revelation, the spirit of God would do that after Pentecost. Uh, now, I, I just want to do this, and you may want to go somewhere else because I, I opened up with, with Mark. But John 13, let me read the first part of that, too, because it kind of sets the same thing, but it's uh, in a different way about washing his, the feet. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that's where I wanted to go. He knew his hour had come. When you look at the book of John, you'll find two other and a third one referred to a little bit. My hour has not yet come. My time is not now. So again, I'm I, I know I, the way we would say it here in Northeast Mississippi. Bert, you're going to seed on that one, and that huh. is that Jesus is in control. But he knew his his hour. Notice that he possesses this. Alex, his is a possessive pronoun, and he is the one that is doing it. His hour had come. I, again, I I want you to understand that. And I want to ask you this, those that are listening, has your hour come? Has the hour Mm. come in your life where you gave up on yourself and you surrendered your life lock, stock, and barrel to the Lord Jesus? He died on the cross for you after living that perfect life, after coming to the earth for that purpose, buried, rose again, overcame death and sin, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for those who have put their faith in him. Alex, his hour had come, and he was ready, wasn't he? Absolutely. Uh, Amazing. Uh, Really amazing. And uh, he knew that his hour had come, and he faced it uh, bravely, obediently to the Father. And, you know, isn't that something? You mentioned John 17, and he says, Father, the hour has come. I've finished the work that you've given me to do. Well, uh, the cross had not happened yet, but it was as good as done because, you know, we we think about past and future. God is in the ever-present now, and all of his promises, you know what? Uh, I know this world is, is in a bad place right now, but I know God's promises are dependable, and uh, it's as good as done. So be encouraged that God is in control and Christ is coming back. But, uh, Bert, in Matthew 26, you know, um, a lot of space is given. We said this earlier in the week that, um, you know, there there are four times as many chapters about the, the last week of Jesus's life as there are chapters about the previous 30 years, and there are 10 whole chapters about the last day of Jesus's life. Uh, life here on planet Earth. Well, there's a lot in Matthew 26 about the the upper room Passover meal with the disciples, and really a couple of things that are very significant. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, you know. And Bert, how how many of us, many many times in church, when we'll do the elements of of the Lord's table, you know, we'll read from Matthew 26 26. Jesus broke the bread and gave thanks and handed it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup, he said, drink, for this is the blood of the new covenant, and uh, the bread represents his body, uh, which would be broken for us. Um, I see the Lord's Supper in these words, but then he predicts Peter's denial. And so we see, you know, I'm guessing if this Passover Seder 
started at six o'clock by, you know, 45 minutes in or something, you know, we see that there's the warning of uh, Peter's uh, betrayal. And then uh, if you're reading John 13, Jesus identifies that Judas Iscariot is going to betray him as well. There's Alex, so much going on here. I, I just, not that I disagree, but there's a quite a bit difference between denial and betrayal. Okay. Well, true. true. And, and uh, Peter's was denial. He he wasn't trying to trick Jesus. He wasn't trying to sell Jesus out. Judas's was betrayal, and and Peter in that point of weakness is denying. I I want to. I think he's redeemed well at Pentecost. after they the healing that takes place in Acts three. And uh, he goes up, and they arrest him. And they said, don't you speak anymore in that name? And after the Holy Spirit had come in, he said, we can't help but speak of the things we've seen and heard. Don't you love? <laughs> Peter is a yeah. brave guy without the Holy Spirit. But you give a man like Peter, <laughs> empowered by the Holy Spirit, he becomes a force to be reckoned with, doesn't he? He really does. And I'm glad you pointed that out. Uh, denial, which we've all done in one way or, or another, we've... We've denied the Lord and his lordship over our life. But you're right, betrayal, far more serious uh, and, and different. But let me point something out here in Matthew 26, 30. Uh, this is amazing, Bert, that uh, huh, they're en route to the cross. Jesus is going to be arrested. They're going to go to the Mount of Olives. He's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Some all of these things related to Passover and Easter are going to play out, um, and yet they take time after this Passover meal, and Jesus is sharing things that they they couldn't fully comprehend it. But it says when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is facing the most important moment of human history. And he knows there's going to be pain, and we've talked about this. The Father would turn his back. I mean, the purchase of our salvation, I mean, we we don't even have words adequate to describe what this would involve, and yet they took time after this meal, as they're going to exit the upper room, they sung a hymn and went out. And you know what I looked up in the Greek lexicon? It's interesting. The word is him. Yeah, it <laughs> H-Y-M-N. is. H-Y-M-N. Alex, that, that is powerful. Yeah. I, they took time. Get, notice, they sang it. Not Jesus by himself. Not the apostles without Jesus. Have you have you been in a service where, you know, a certain hymn, it, it's not only celebrative and worshipful, but it's courageous and it encourages you. I, I really believe that this was... Jesus is spending time with the 12. Uh, they've been encouraged because he told them where the upper room was, go find it, and now they sing a hymn. Doesn't it draw them together and strengthen them? I think Jesus is wanting them to, uh, have you ever heard, bind us together in Christian love? Uh, yeah. I think that was one of the purposes of it. Do you? Uh, I, I do. I really do. And and a hymn, the, the ancient word, this is a very ancient word, uh, the word hymn, uh, means a song of praise. Now, some think that it might have been uh, one of the psalms between Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, because these were often sung at Passover, or Psalm 136, 
you know, some of the Old Testament scriptures that, you know, apparently they they had a, a, a tune and the disciples knew it. But I just think it's something else that Jesus, again, our example in all things, um, he's on his way to the arrest, the beatings, the tri- the mock trials, crucifixion, and yet he worships. And we do the same thing. And, you know, I know he's the Savior giving his life for our salvation, but he was also our example, too. Amen. And let me just say this. If you're facing something and you're afraid, I know sometimes we have doctor's appointments or we're awaiting some test results or we're awaiting some news about a family situation or what whatnot. We can be facing something that we're fearful about. Just like Jesus, what do we do? We worship Amen. and we, we praise God and the Spirit of the Lord will strengthen us. Amen, Alex. Look at verse 32. Uh, after he says you're going to stumble, you're going to be scattered, uh, again, quoting from Zechariah 13, 7, I will strike the shepherd, the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Verse 32, but <laughs> you're going to be scattered. But after I have been raised, another a promise, I will go before you to Galilee, another promise. Now, I, I can't help but think I love geography. You know that. And when I see these things, it really draws me in. Galilee had been the place of less confrontation. Every time Jesus and the apostles came to Jerusalem, there's confrontation with the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, and those around them. But in Galilee, uh, there there was less of that. I'm not saying there wasn't any, but there was less of that. And he said, I'm going to Galilee, and, and I, I don't want to spiritualize it. That's the word you usually use, but I'm doing it here, Alex. It was Come more on. of a peaceful place. You catch what I'm saying? Galilee yeah. was a more peaceful place where many, much was done there. So he said, I'm going to be raised, I promise. I'm going to Galilee. I, I'm going to be with you. I, I'm going to be there, and you can be there with me. I love verse 32. It, it's filled with hope, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And uh, as you know, time fleets away, by the way, we're going to take questions here in just a few minutes, and the number is 888 589-8840. Bert, um, you know, uh, when he's arrested, uh, Judas has slipped away, and the the betrayal by Judas, the, the, the wheels are turning there. They're going to go to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus will be in the Garden of Gethsemane when they come, and, and with a kiss, he's identified, singled out, and he's arrested. And then he goes for these trials that go into the night and into the early morning, really. Now, Most it's of them been were said, illegal, weren't they? <laughs> the, oh, they, they really were. That's a different because, subject, but they really were, man. Oh, yeah, because, all right, um, in, in the Jewish law, a criminal could not be determined guilty and then executed in one day. And those that were casting a guilty verdict, and there's much, much, much been written about jurisprudence, the legal procedures. And uh, everybody that was accused was uh, assigned somebody to defend them. And listen to this. The Sanhedrin had no authority to originate charges, only to try them. And so, But yet we see all these things. All right, Jesus is going to uh, really three religious trials, Annas, Caiaphas, and the whole Sanhedrin. And then civil trials before Pilate, Herod, and then Pilate again. 
Um, but what what's amazing is at the house of the high priest and then the court of the Sanhedrin, the religious trials to which he was subjected, they all said guilty, guilty, guilty. Interestingly, the civil trials by the Romans, he was pronounced innocent, innocent, innocent. But nevertheless, they cried out for his crucifixion, and uh, it, it was it was not justice. It was not what we would call due process at all. It was not. And again, this demonstrate Jesus is the one that's in control. If you remember, Peter does deny Jesus during this time. And at one of those times when they was taking Jesus from one place to another place, it says that Peter and Jesus, they looked upon one another. And when G, uh, Peter did that, he went out and wept bitterly. Now, that's what Peter did after his denial. He got right with the Lord. Uh, he would, And Jesus would come to him. You remember later on when they were fishing and asked him, do you love me? But what Judas did in his betrayal, he goes out and hangs himself. Now, again, uh, that no for, he did not seek forgiveness. Guilt was overridden with him, throwing the money on the on the floor. So all of these, I, I just it's important to know that Peter, uh, he he, I, I think he did confess. He got right, and God used him mightily. Whereas Judas did not, and he uh, went to his own place, as the Bible says. So, Alex, uh, everything was happening just like Jesus said again. Nothing caught him by surprise, did it? It didn't. But you know what? The religious leaders, the civil leaders, but even the people. You read Matthew 27, and the crowds cried out, crucify him. That guilt is on all of us. It was our sins that put him on the cross. Stay tuned. When Exploring the Word comes back, we're going to open up the phones. We welcome your calls, your questions on this Thursday before Easter. Don't go away. I just appreciate AFR spreading so much truthful news that helps me to know what's going on in my country and in my world. American Family Radio's Spring share is coming soon. We'll celebrate what God is doing through this ministry and ask you to support our efforts. I just really appreciate the godly perspective and truthfulness that I hear every day. Join us April 19th, 20th, and 21st for share on American Family Radio. Today's issues. Blaming a gun for a violent crime or a murder is like blaming the pencil for a misspelled word. Mm. Ooh, I like that. That would be like a, a student who ha- he's, he does terrible on spelling. And he says, we've had a rash of we've, a pencil, pencil-oriented mistakes. Misspelled words. <laughs> Today's issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Miki. And we've been married 16 years. You know, one of the things that Miki asked me before we got married, she was like, why do you want to marry me? What is it about about me? Really, the Lord had put on my heart that God was putting us together for destiny and for purpose, and that he had a ministry that he desired to do through us, that, you know, we were both ministering on our own, but together that God was going to, you know, use us to minister. There is no one who is closer to you than your spouse, and there is no one who knows you better, and this is by God's design. 
marriage is the first institution that God has given us to to shape us and to mold us and to show us ourselves. It's a beautiful picture. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. In his October 11, 1798 address to the Massachusetts militia, John Adams, second president of the United States and founding father, said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He understood that in order for the American Constitutional Republic to survive long term, the church in America must make disciples of its populace. An immoral people will always destroy themselves through lawlessness. To think otherwise is to suffer under a grand delusion. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Be silent before me so that I may speak. Then let come upon me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job 13, 13 through 15. American Family Radio. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. And you meet me here today with mercies that are new. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to Explore the Word. Bertie and Alex, we're taking phone calls. But let me tell you something that's going to happen next week. It is one of the two weeks each year we have share And it's the time when we share with you uh, what God has done through AFR And then in turn, many of you, you come and you say, we want to be a part of that. You pray for us, you listen, but some of you want to even give and help the ministry financially. So that'll be next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Now, that doesn't mean you don't listen to Exploring the Word. It just means you listen and celebrate with us as we share what all God has done and uh, watch God work in people's lives as we join together and, and just see what God has done. So, Alex, Sherathon's always an exciting week around here. Well, it is. And you know what? When people come to Christ, as they do, we got an email from Jim Stanley that somebody came to the Lord, I think, yesterday, listening to Exploring the Word and all the programming. Folks, you share in those rewards. I mean, it is really a partnership. And I think, you know, there's those of us that are at the microphone, but there are literally dozens of people in the technical engineering departments and the American Family Association is such an exciting ministry and the team and the people that listen and pray and help we're all in this together to win the lost equip the church and see the gospel in not only our nation but the whole wide world it's a team effort, isn't it? It is, and we just share. And you're a part of that team. Part I love American family, the, and we're a part of the family, and that's the way we feel about it. Well, Alex, speaking of family, let's go to some of our brothers and sisters that are on the phone line. We're going to go to the great state of Oklahoma and speak with Clinton. Clinton, are you there? Uh, yes, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yeah, welcome. Hey, so... Uh, my question.
question today. Just wanted to um, uh, revolve around self-defense and what the Bible says about turning the other cheek. Um, and I'll just hang up and just hear what you guys have to say about that. Okay. Uh, Alex, again, we were talking about, was it C.S. Lewis, why well, I'm not a pacifist? Yeah, and, a great and, article by Lewis. Yeah, and it does talk about self-defense, and and that's not true. Is true. It is true for an individual. It's also true for a community and a nation, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. And you know, when it talks about uh, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, um, you know, I, I think every person has to under, as the Holy Spirit leads, to extend grace uh, to somebody. And and forgive those who hurt you, um, you know. Doing um, doing good for others, even though from a human perspective we we don't think they deserve it, maybe. But let me say, I don't think that the um, the 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 grace and love and forgiveness import of the Sermon on the Mount should be an argument against self defense or national defense or even things like local peacekeepers like the the police uh we need and and you read Romans uh, 13 1 through 7 and it talks about the powers that be do not bear the sword in vain and are actually ministers of God isn't that something so i i think when you look at all of the passages of course as an individual we forgive those who hurt us we do good to those that might not deserve it but let me say this you have the right to defend yourself. I think you have the obligation to defend your family and a just government. And there's much about governments throughout history that have been unjust. But a just government is supposed to protect its citizens. Amen. Let me suggest this. Read in the Old Testament about the kinsman redeemer. And uh, you'll see that, uh, you know, uh, having equity concerning justice. You had the cities of refuge where that judgment would be placed and the kinsman redeemer was responsible for, you know, justifying either death. Was it accidental or was it on purpose? Uh, and, and the Bible's filled with that, you know, I would say self-defense and also national defense as well. Clinton, thank you. Okay, well, we're going to go to Keith in Kansas. Keith, welcome to Exploring the Word. Welcome, Keith. Hello? Yes, you're on, man. Go right ahead. All right. My question is, uh, involves the uh, origin of the name Easter. I was curious if, uh, where it came from. And the reason that I'm curious about it is because I read about a uh, Mesopotamian goddess of fertility named Ishtar. So, uh, like, you know, I know it's mythology, but I was curious if that was another uh, one of the attempts of the world to hijack one of our Christian holidays by the name or if it actually has an origin. Okay, Keith, I want to put the right the opposite. I think we hijacked that. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, exactly. I, that's my opinion. We took that which was uh, halfway evil and uh, turned it into good, and Easter's one of those. Yes, it has some origins that are questionable. You better believe it. I know that. But again, that that shows you what God does. I think it's living proof of Romans eight twenty eight, not just in the individual, Alex, but also uh, directions and other issues as well. What do you think? Well, you know, it, it's really interesting. And by the way, um, 
in the in the seven hundreds in what is now England, there was a, a, a springtime festival uh, named for a goddess that the name Easter is really related to the word for estrogen, which is. Uh, and these springtime rituals that were about the rebirth, you know, of plants and spring comes, the death of winter is over, and there's the the rebirth of, of the world at spring. Bert is right. Just like we celebrate Christmas on December 25th and what was formerly, you know, a winter pagan festival in Rome, we hijacked it to tell them about the truth of not the sun, Sol Invictus, the invincible sun, S-U-N, but the S-O-N, the Son of God. Well, in a similar way, but I want to tell you why there's a historical precedent. And let me, let me just be clear. Do celebrate Christmas and do celebrate Easter. Because, look, the early church believed that uh, in the dark midwinter, as the songwriter said, December 25th, was very probably the time of Christ's virginal conception, and they celebrated Christmas, the coming of Christ. But Easter, in Acts 12, 4, do you know the word Easter is in the Bible? If you In most Bibles, but it, it's the word translated Easter, but the word is Pascha for Passover. And so um, Passover was when Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead. And so, yes, while there was a pagan springtime ritual that occurred at the same time as the Jewish Passover, the church rightly celebrated the resurrection, which happened three days after, you know, Jesus was crucified. The bottom line, I think, Bert, and I'm going to say this and throw it back to you, redeeming lost days for the truth of the gospel is part of the steps God has taken to restore all things. And let me when he returns, everything's going to be restored. We worship until then. You're saying we hadn't seen anything yet. Oh no. <laughs> Amen. I, I agree with you. And Keith, thank you for asking that because a lot of times uh and, and there's those that said we're just not going to use Easter. We're going to use resurrection. Uh well we celebrate the resurrection every first day of the week, every Sunday. And uh, but once a year, we celebrate the uh, time of that resurrection, and it's the Lord Jesus. So, thank you, Keith. Where to next, Alex? Uh, Gary in my home state of North Carolina. Gary, welcome. How you doing, Alex? Very good, uh, good, good to have you. A couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, you threw out a nugget that I can't get over. Uh, you said, I guess I knew this, but didn't know it, that Jesus is eternally righteous never-ending yeah and our sins i mean i don't i just added this to it our sins are finite and that's what yeah. i mean jesus on the cross proved his righteousness and that's how god covered our sins with his righteousness because he's eternal never-ending righteousness can you expand on that or do i have anything wrong about that let me say something first gary hallelujah it is. Amen. If his righteousness was not eternal, there would come an end to eternal life because his eternal righteousness brings about the eternal life, not just the quality, but the quantity, doesn't it, Alex? 
Absolutely, because the wages of sin is death. One of the reasons that we know that Jesus is holy and righteous is because he, the grave could not hold him. And so, yes, Jesus is not only eternally righteous, but infinitely righteous. And that's uh, in the context of the question, Gary, thanks for bringing this up. Somebody had asked the question, how could one die for all? And I said, well, all of the human race, it's a, it's a lot of sin, but it's a finite amount of sin, whereas Jesus took to the cross an infinite amount of righteousness. But the other thing is this, Psalm 1610, say, and this is, by the way, in Acts 13, this is attributed to Jesus, but it says, you will not abandon my soul to the grave, nor allow your Holy One to see corruption. See, Jesus didn't stay in the grave long enough for the body to decompose. And also, why could he rise? Because like Psalm 1610, he was a holy one. And he, thoroughly righteous, and that's how he could pay for our sin. And anyone who comes to Jesus will be washed white as snow. In fact, you know, Bert, what's amazing is um, when the righteousness of Christ is your covering the Father doesn't see sin or fallenness or finitude. He sees the righteousness of His own Son. You're, in the eyes of God, as righteous as Jesus, as a believer. That's Romans 4. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> We're worshiping here with that. Uh, I, Alex, if we could only get our mind. I mean, I know these are words, but we are righteous in the sight of God because Jesus' blood cleanses us Amen. from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Gary, I, 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 you get an A today, A-plus, because picking up something that, yeah, Alex said, and it was good, but expanding on it, brother, thank you. It's been a great reminder. Thank you, brother. A Amen. Um, hey, uh, as we go to John in Oklahoma, Bert, remember the song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand? Yes, sir. W was that a Fanny Crosby song? I, I Great. don't know. I don't know but for sure. There's a, a line in that song, folks. This ought to give you encouragement. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. <laughs> John in Oklahoma, welcome. We're, we're having we're church here, my friend. We're worshiping today, John. Welcome, brother. Boy, I'm worshiping <laughs> right along with you. Hey, Come man, on. Man. You guys are fantastic. <laughs> and the, the whole station, I love it. My Bless question you. is about Jesus cursing the fig tree during Passion Week. Uh, he the, the tree has leaved out, but it doesn't have any fruit. And the Bible says it doesn't have fruit because it's not the right season. So if I was a fig tree, I'd say cry foul because how can you curse me when it's not I'm not in season? Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Alex. Do you know what I was thinking about that just the other day when we, we came to that that passage? Okay, this is in uh, Matthew 21 and Mark 11. Um, so for one thing, let me just say this. Um, it, Jesus said, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And he says, may no fruit ever come from you again. Now, it wasn't the season for figs, right? And this wasn't the, the season that Israel would accept their Messiah. Now, it wasn't that they couldn't have accepted their Messiah. They could have, but they didn't. And I think it was like the fig tree was 
illustrious. The fig tree had no fruit, just like at that point the religious machine that Israel had become didn't it, have any fruit. Was it a word fruit. picture, Alex? Just ask. It, it really was. Yeah, that's, I think that's the whole idea. Whether don't uh, a, a parable is that way. Don't make it uh, answer questions that was not asked. And in this illustration, I think it's just demonstrating uh, in a word picture, Israel, uh, you know, you're missing it now, and there's a penalty to pay. Hey, Alex, you got time for one more? Let's go to Deborah in Tennessee. Can we do that? Deborah in Tennessee. Haven't got a lot of time, Deborah. Go ahead, though. Yes, a quick question. And by the way, I appreciate you all so much. I listen all the time. But I'm Bless just you. curious, and this might be an elementary question, but why is it that the people that were looking for Jesus did not already know who he was? You know, the individuals that were going to take him before Pilate and so forth. What was the reason they didn't already know who he was and he had to be pointed out to them? Okay, great question. They they knew who he was in public, in other words, but they were afraid to take him uh, when he is at the temple or anywhere where he's before the people because all the, quote, common people were excited about him. So they had to find an obscure place to point him out so they would get the right person. Now let's go ahead. And and you know what? It says that, well, you've got uh, like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. You've got some of the uh, religious elites that did believe some somewhat secretly uh, for fear of the Jews. But then it talks about uh, after the resurrection that many, even many of the priests believe. So it took some boldness and some time before the people, the Jewish leaders would really come out as, as believing in him, although many, many did not. Many did not, but some did. But yes, uh, they, they knew better than to do it in, in public, so they had to do it scheming. That's how Satan always operates, but it's also true, Jesus overcame their schemes. It's been great to be with you here on Exploring the Word today. We want to wish you a very great Easter weekend. Alex, be in church. People need to be in church and celebrate it, don't they? Yes, this is a great time to take somebody to church and get them under the sound of the gospel. Hey, happy Easter. Christ is risen. We praise his name. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word. Most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.